0: Open your Bible with me to Psalm 113. We're finishing off our summer series in the Psalms, the playlist of God's people, the hymnal of Israel. We're going to finish off in a a fitting place, in a Psalm of praise. After all, the book of Psalms in the original language is called the Tehillim. It is the book of praises. And so we're going to conclude our studies in the Psalms this summer with Psalm 113. And consider who is like the Lord our God. Uh, Thinking about this this week took me back to uh, moments when I met my wife Christina at the University of Missouri and uh, campus ministry there. And as we met, uh, we were on the other side of the room for the most part. We were in a campus ministry band and that brought us together. And then eventually we started to spend time uh, in friend groups and we'd intentionally bring those friend groups together. And so there'd be all these little moments uh, that I can remember of playing foosball or going on a hike, you know, making s'mores over a fire. But then eventually those moments came together and I awkwardly expressed my interest in dating her and uh, she was, was kind enough to stick with me and we had our first big moment, a date, and we dressed up. I put on a tie. <laughs> it was a big deal. And we went to Chevy's, which is like a Tex-Mex restaurant. And uh, so it, 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 was, it was huge, this huge moment, all of these little moments culminating in this big moment together. Uh, but you know, originally, she was like this idea to me, and then she became a person. She was something far off. There was no way she would have anything to do with me. But then all of a sudden, she was someone I knew who, who loved me. And now uh, we've been married 12 years. And I, I give thanks to God for that. But there's probably some mornings when she wakes up and just thinks, what have I done? <laughs> you know? Like, who is this person next to me? Because this happens, right, in relationships. You can go ahead and take that one down. Uh, In relationships over time, uh, we can lose sight of one another. Our our vision can become blurred of this person who's with us that has loved us, that's been involved in our lives, and, and we start to lose sight of the love that's there. I think this is very similar to our stories of faith. There's a time in our life when when God has orchestrated things, he's he's been involved in the little stories of our life, culminating in a big moment when he says, I love you. You hear the gospel proclaimed in the youth group service. That's how I first came to know Jesus. Maybe it's on a retreat, maybe it's in the office. Someone prays for you in a moment of great need and you just collapse under God's grace and say, I need you, God, and you started to follow him there. Wherever that point was in your life, that God intersected with your path in a big way and, and, and just brought you into his big story of grace. There's that moment for you, but then our lives go on and there come moments when our vision is a bit blurred about who this God is and why are we, why are we following him? Why are we doing all this church stuff? Why, why commit our lives in this way? What are we doing? Our vision can be blurred of who this God is and so, what do we do about that? And there's many of us who, we just have a vision of God. He, he was involved in our lives at one point, perhaps, but now he's just lofty and distant. Seems like a universe away. Then there are some who react, perhaps, against uh, the vision of God that they might hear from the scriptures or what they might have heard in their upbringing. And so, they have a vision of God that's sort of like their, their best buddy. He's, he, there's even these trucker hats that say, Jesus is my homeboy, you know? And so they bring God down to be just like them. He's just one of the dudes. But I would suggest that vision is very blurred when we look to the God of the scriptures. And then others of us, we just throw up our hands and we give up altogether because all these different competing visions of God, how could we possibly say that we know the true one? Many of our neighbors, in fact, call it arrogant to say that we know the one true and living God. How could we possibly say that this vision that we find in Psalm 113 is the true one? Well, I would invite such a person to walk with me for just another moment, because I would suggest it might also be arrogant to not listen to the voices of these people, this minority people, this small people that by all accounts shouldn't exist today, lived in a small land that was tramped through by large governments and large armies over the millennia, and yet still today we have their scriptures, and still today they're proclaiming this one God. What if we just listened to this neighbor for a moment, if you would just give them a chance? In fact, this psalm that we're hearing about today is the first psalm in a series of psalms called the Hallel Psalms, which God's people would sing and still do today uh, at Passover time. Uh, They will sing these Psalms and recount the Lord's saving grace to them. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt. This is the Lord that they know, not just some distant God, but one who came near to save them and scoop them up into his story of grace. And so they would sing and say to one another, who is like the Lord our God? and they would lead us all to conclude with them that there's no one, no one like our God. He is the Lord. He's the creator, we're all created. He is independent, we're all dependent. He's almighty and we are tiny specks like dust on the scales. So this is what the Lord is like in a biblical vision. But let's take a moment. We're gonna dig in as we we think about his greatness, about his nearness, and how we make sense of that today. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray today that you would come today and help us to see you through your word, Lord. Thank you that you speak in a way we could even hear. What a wonder. For those of us who have questions about you, Lord, I just pray that you would break through and show yourself true, a steady foundation. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is like the Lord our God? No one. Isaiah 45, verse 5. The Lord says of himself, I am the Lord and there is no other. This is what the Lord declares about himself. Besides me, there is no other God. And again, we're back at that place where many of our neighbors would say, well, that sounds arrogant. How, how could that be? How could that be? And Jesus, Jesus, he even continues to cry himself. In Isaiah, just a little bit earlier, it says, look to the heavens and consider who made all these. It's the Lord. And in Isaiah, it says, prepare the way, get ready, people. Prepare the way of the Lord. And then we see one coming in fulfillment of those words in the gospels. And this man from Nazareth shows up. And he's baptized in the River Jordan alongside sinners. The Lord coming and humbling himself, intersecting with the stories of all these people. And Jesus, this one, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's making these claims that he is one with the Father, that he is the one saving God, that there is no other path. But in our culture, we have a parable. And this parable uh, is of uh, uh, an elephant and blind men maybe you've you've heard of it before so there's all of these blind men and they're groping around and 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 they take hold of something and it's feels oh no it feels like a snake but it's a it's a trunk we know because we have the absolute vantage point on everything so we know what they're actually looking at is an elephant and another blind man he reaches out and he feels and he feels a tusk oh it feels like a spear and another one grabs for what he thinks is a tree trunk, but it's a leg. But of course, the wise sage who tells the parable knows that it's an elephant, and in fact, this is a story about religions of the world, that all religions are like blind men that are groping about, and they don't actually know what they're feeling, but they're just grabbing one facet of God, and they don't know that. In fact, they're all grabbing the same God, the same elephant. This is the parable that our culture tells. And some think this is sort of a nice vision because it's saying, well, all of these gods are the same God. But I would suggest to you a couple of things. First of all, this is incredibly arrogant because the person telling the parable is saying, I see it all clearly and you're all blind. Those, those Israelites, they're blind, the Hindus are blind, the, the, the Muslims are blind, Christians are blind, but me, I can see clearly. And secondly, it's utter nonsense. It's stupid. Well, that's mean, pastor. Okay. But it's a bad idea. We can distinguish between tearing apart a bad idea that's a bad idea and tearing apart a person. That's what we don't do. We don't attack people. But false, ridiculous ideas, we can, we can have at those together. We're adults. This is a stupid idea. What does the Lord say about himself? I am the Lord and there is no other. What does Hinduism say? There are millions of gods. He is the Lord who comes near into our stories, our little tiny stories full of brokenness and scoops us up out of the ash heap. Hinduism is a a, a system of gods that reinforce the caste system so you can't escape poverty and the gods don't care. In in, in Christianity, we believe that God has become flesh and dwelt among us and died for us, for our sins on the cross. But in Islam, Allah would never do such a thing. He would never come near. He is utterly transcendent and removed. You can't sense or feel or imagine God loving you (laughs) in the same way as we hear about Jesus. They are not the same. Buddhism, Buddha didn't even believe in a God, most likely. It's a a spiritual sort of atheism. What am I saying? I'm not proving that Christianity is the true faith, though I believe this to be the case, but I'm just saying it is ridiculous to claim they're all the same, is it not? And furthermore, it's arrogant to ignore the reality that we are creatures, and how are we even here? Look to the heavens and consider who made all these. Is it just chance? How could it be? What if there's a God? And what if he's delightful to know? I will submit that I don't find these gods of these other faiths delightful. I find them very problematic. But I find Jesus beautiful, even for me a sinner, while he's perfectly just and true. It's incredible. And I would just invite you to come and consider that with me, to take a second look. If you think it's bad news that the one true God is the one that's revealed in the scriptures, take another look with me, because I would submit that maybe you haven't truly seen him. Maybe you've taken what you've heard in culture, but haven't actually experienced him yourself. Go and look for yourself. And here's what you'll find. Number one, you'll find that he is a God who is transcendent, who is above and beyond us, that's what it says in Psalm 113, starting in verse 4. The Lord is high. He's above all nations. All nations, all cultures, all of their ideas about God, their philosophies, their religions, their systems of thought. He's above it all. He's above all nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high. You'll notice the repetition of the verb to sit. Sit dwell or inhabit. Three times in this psalm. We'll come back to that. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high. And in verse 6, it's as though he has to stoop down to see the heavens and the earth. He is high. He is transcendent. When when I think about... uh, what what I'm called to do. I I went and I I went to school to study because I I knew I had a lot of questions that I I needed to answer before I would feel comfortable opening up the Bible in front of people and trying to teach. So I went to seminary and I got a degree. After four years, I, I got a degree and it is the most ridiculous degree in the world. Do you know what it's called? It is called a Master of Divinity. And so, If you go for four years to graduate theological school, you can master God too. (laughs) That's the idea. What? Are you crazy? No. No, if anything, I hope in a, I just began to be mastered by God and to see his greatness. The more I saw of him, the more I learned of him, the more I knew that the best words that I could utter are like arrows and they might go 100 yards and then they're gonna fall. But the sun, I haven't even got anywhere close. We're just shooting arrows at the sun when we're giving our God talk, even our most profound, eloquent God talk, even uttering the words of the Psalms. This is, these are just words that fall short of the eternal, infinite glory of the one who made us and, and yet has stooped down to make, him, make himself known. It's a wonder we even have language to understand him. And so here's, here's a, a brief challenge for, for folks here. There's a, there's a way of knowing things about God that can puff us up, that can make us feel like we're the masters, that people should come to us with their questions. And the more we learn, the more we, we memorize Psalm 113, we memorize theological categories like transcendence and immanence, we start to feel bigger. <laughs> But I suggest to you if you feel like that when you're studying, when you're doing your Sunday school life together with people learning, I suggest to you you're missing the point. And that that knowledge is becoming corrupted with a dangerous pride. When we know God moves us to a different kind of posture, to a humbled posture, a humbled praise posture that says like Psalm 8, when I looked at the heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars that you've hung in their places, who is man? All of humanity, (laughs) that you're mindful of him. And the son of man, an individual human being that you should care for him. Who are we? And yet you care for us. You give us dignity and purpose in your world. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Humbled and moved to praise, to deflect away from self to God, the one who made us. This is what happens when we sense his greatness. Not a sense of our own greatness, but of his. And a different ditch that some of us might fall into As I said earlier, we might try to bring God down to tame him, to make him one of the dudes. You know, like Dude Dad up in Fort Collins, for those who uh, watch YouTube. Maybe anybody, Dude Dad, all one of you, yep. I got one hand, two hands for Dude Dad. (laughs) But today we're not here to talk about Dude Dad. But God is not Dude Dad. He is a consuming fire. We can relate to him intimately as our father, even our Abba, like our daddy. But even when we relate to daddy, we relate honoring him, knowing that he is not like us. He does not have anything to do with sin. He is holiness like we can't imagine. And so we approach him in reverence and awe. Hallowed be thy name. He is transcendent. Who's like the Lord our God? No one. And yet, this transcendent God, this is the wonder of the scriptures, this is the uniqueness of the God of the Bible, transcendent God came near. He became imminent, even tangible, sensible. That's the message of the Bible. Psalm 113 celebrates this. Not only is he a God who has to, it's as though he has to stoop down, but he does stoop down far down to look on the heavens and the earth. Verse six, verse seven, what does he do when he stoops down? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He cares not only for for human beings. He doesn't just intersect with the nobles and the princes of the world, but he actually cares for the smallest of stories. He cares for the poor, he cares for the needy. Not only there, but he goes to the deepest brokenness and grief. He makes the needy sit with princes. He gives the barren woman a home, verse 9, making her the joyous mother of children. This is the kind of God he is, who cares for the smallest of stories and will weave them into his big story of grace, giving them purpose and dignity. What a wonderful God. And this was celebrated by Hannah, this song we'll find in Psalm 113 was sung in many ways first by this woman, a woman with a small story from the hill country of Ephraim, the wife of a guy named Elkanah, who like many men in his day and the surrounding culture had more than one wife, not a good deal. His second wife, Peninnah, she gave Hannah a hard time because Hannah had not conceived a child. And Hannah just lived with that grief, like a weight on her. And Elkanah just being, he is like dude dad. He comes up, and is like, Hannah, why are you crying? Aren't I more than 10 sons? Aren't I enough, baby? As he wipes off, you know, greasy potato chip hands on his shirt. <laughs> but she goes to God and she finds in him a refuge. She she goes to the place of worship to Shiloh, and there she's just praying and sobbing with tears. Eli the priest thinks she's crazy or drunk, but when he comes and hears her story and hears her prayer request, she just longs so badly for a son that God would would bless her in that way. And Eli says, let the Lord grant your prayer, and the Lord did. (laughs) She conceived a son. And she, his son was named, her, her son was named Samuel, and he became the prophet who anointed Saul, the first king of Israel, and then anointed David, the great king of Israel, who would carry forward God's redemptive plan to the nations. This small story bound up in God's big plan of salvation, and so she would sing, My heart exalts in the Lord. There is none holy like the Lord. There's none besides you. There's no rock like our God. You're transcendent. You're you're totally other. And yet, you are the God who's made the barren to bear seven. But she is many uh, she who has many children is forlorn. In verse 6 of, of 1 Samuel 2 it says the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. She is moved to sing because God, her God, the eternal God who's over all things has come in her story and redeemed her and given her a new start and even through her is blessing the world, bringing her into his big story. And we can see this even more now. We can see even more clearly now. Another came who sang a song like Hannah's. Mary, when she had conceived a virgin, conceiving by the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Son of God in her womb, when she goes to see her friend, Elizabeth, Elizabeth has received a child from God as well. And when when she sees Elizabeth, John the baptizer leaps in Elizabeth's womb, she shouts and Mary sings. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He stooped down low to look upon me. He was mighty, has done great things for me, she says. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The Lord cares for the little one for the little story, the broken story, and he weaves those little stories into his big story of grace. It's an incredible thing, that this is the God that we serve. And who came through Mary? Of course, we know someone greater than Samuel, Jesus Christ, God with us, who humbled himself that far down to become an embryo, to grow as a boy, a teen, and a man, and to die for us and for our salvation who is like the Lord our God, no one. If that's what God is like, folks, what should we do? What should we do? This is what the Psalm says. The Psalm says it over and over. Praise the Lord, Psalm 113 verse one. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Bless the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. All day long, bless the Lord. From the rising of the sun unto its setting, the name of the Lord is to be At the end of the Psalm, again, praise the Lord. Praise Him. Praise Him, it's a command. Praise Him. But some of us are left feeling, well, it's a command. That's what I need to do, okay, I'll I'll try to praise Him. But how do I bring that out of myself? How How do I want to praise Him? You know, it's one thing for me, or for the Bible to say praise the Lord, but it's another thing for us with our whole bodies, with our whole minds, with our whole souls, to say, I love you, Lord. There's a a story that John Piper tells in his book, Desiring God, in the third chapter, it's on worship. And it's a little story about a husband and wife. The wife comes to the husband, and she says, kiss me. And he says, must I? And she says, you must. But not that kind of must. He must. It's a duty, but it's a duty of delight. <laughs> it's like when when Christina came down the aisle to me and, and she's coming down the aisle, she, she gets nervous and she can't eat on, on certain occasions. And so she was so hungry, she slammed some almonds right before she came down the aisle because she was about to faint, so she, she can't even open her mouth to smile. But her walking down the aisle and all of those moments that that I had known her and now to see her, Coming toward me and and the minister says kiss the bride right I I had to do it oh but (laughs) but I wanted to there's nothing else that I would want to do but to take hold of the love of my life and to kiss her it's a delight to this day it's a delight do I have to yeah and do I get to praise the Lord yes yes and so if, if today you wonder how you could be moved to praise the Lord, I just invite you to go back through your story and ask, when has he inter- intersected with your story? When has he proven strong for you? When has he proven gracious to you? When has he lavished you with his love? Go back and look at the story of your life. Look at those pictures of grace. When did he first save you? When did he first take hold of you? When did he first start to direct your life and you realized his ways were better than your ways? And just go back and remember that this is the God who raises the poor from the ash heap. He, this is the Lord who cares for you in your little story and would set you on your feet. This is the Lord. And many of you who have had not a metaphorical, but a very real season of barrenness and infertility. And it's hard to praise the Lord through tears, but when has the Lord proven good to you? in your life, go back to it. Don't let go of it, even through the tears. He is good, and he's been good to you. Go back to the beginning, and if you don't have that story today, if you can't say, I, I, I love the Lord, I trust in Jesus, if that's not your story today, I just invite you today to know this, that Jesus, eternal God, transcendent God, who has no reason that he should care at all for any of us. He doesn't need us at all. Yet he cares and loves us all so much that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. I just invite you to look to him. Jesus came to die for you. Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. I just invite you today, if if that starts to kindle anything in your heart, just to say to the Lord, I trust you. I believe in you. I want to follow you. I I want to have a refuge. It says at the end of Psalm 2 it says, Kiss the Son. Kiss the Son. You must. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him, but you get to. And here in a moment, when we come to the table, this is a moment where heaven kisses earth. And when we get to respond and kiss our savior, our husband in response, we are his bride, church, where he gives us a tangible felt sign of his love. He says, I love you. Remember what I did for you. Take hold of it. Take hold of me. And he'll take hold of you. So let's take a moment and pray and prepare our hearts to go to that table. Who is like the Lord our God? There's no one. He is Yahweh. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for God become flesh to seek and to save us. We were lost, but we're found. And we praise you. Lord, at this table, we pray that you'd come and meet us. Prepare our hearts, Lord, to Be humbled by what you've done to confess to you our need for the cross, our need for the body and blood of Christ to speak in our place. Humble us, but fill us with renewed joy and delight in you, Lord, because you are ours and we are yours. Come now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.